This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 181. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone. This is Michael Blanc, your host. Really excited that you're here today. I got up this morning fired up because I am really excited about helping people quit their jobs with real estate. And today's guest is no different. Jan Larson actually is going to talk about how he quit his job by passively investing in real estate. So it's just really, really exciting to find people's stories like that. And it just proves over and over again that it's not only is it possible, it's probable. Fairly, it's actually inevitable to do it with multifamily investing. Whether you're an active investor or a passive investor, it doesn't matter. The path might be slightly different, but the result is exactly the same. So this is why I'm speaking a lot now, not only to the active investors, those are you guys who are finding deals, analyzing deals, raising money, but also to you guys who are considering passively investing. It's just really exciting. And I put out this super special report about stock market versus real estate investing. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report, where I kind of compare and contrast real estate investing with stock markets. Now, real estate investing is not the silver bullet, but now there's a stock market. And so it's a really cool side-by-side -side comparison in this report. And I'm just really excited about investing in multifamily for so many different reasons. And so Jan is going to talk a lot about today. But man, we put out a lot of resources. Now you guys are listening to this podcast. Maybe you're watching it. We also have a YouTube channel. So just search for Michael Blanc on YouTube, putting out weekly stuff. Actually, I'm putting out two things every single week now, right? So on the blog and YouTube, we're putting out one video or blog post for the active investor because we want to make sure that you guys have what you need to be better syndicators, capital raisers, deal finders, but we're also putting out stuff for you passive investors. What's the investment process? What kind of returns? What are the risks? Things of that nature. So look for that on YouTube and on our blog every week that goes out as well. Also really excited about the podcast. Uh, actually, I haven't been watching as I just kind of put out these weekly podcast episodes, but we've been in the top 100 top business podcast since March consistently, which is really cool. So I want to thank you so much for your support. Uh, we all have several hundred five-star reviews on iTunes, which is kind of cool. We just passed 1.5 million downloads. So again, thank you so much for all your support and feedback. We're always trying to do things better. So anyway, let's get right into the show here with Jan Larson. Really, really excited to have him share how in the world is it that within four and a half years, he's able to quit his job by passively investing. Here we go. Jan, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Well, this is great to have you here because you're a perfect example of becoming financially free with real estate, but instead of going the active route, you've actually gone the passive route. So you actually were able to quit your job in January. Yes, that's correct. I'm kind of, you know, was thinking about retirement, but wasn't quite there yet. But once I got involved in uh, passive investing and multifamily, I started looking at my monthly cash flow or quarterly cash flow and decided, you know, I don't really need to keep that nine to five job anymore or nine to six or 630, whatever it was. And so in January, I decided to uh, call it a career. That's amazing. So how is your life different now than it was you know, 12 months ago? Well, I have a lot less stress. That's, that's <laughs> the number one thing. Mm -hmm. I think my mm -hmm. wife can attest to that as well. Say a little bit more about that. What was it like before? What's it like now? 
Well, I worked in the uh, semiconductor development industry for the last 25 or so years of my career. And most recently, I was with Amazon, and Amazon was a great job. But with Amazon and the positions I held previous to that, there's a, a time commitment that often comes into play. We're working on projects to schedule. And if you're behind schedule, you know, you've got to put in extra time. And whether that means commuting to the office and putting more time in there or working from home on the weekends or at night. And even when you're on schedule, there is always a pressure there and a stress. It's, it's a, you know, a high tech kind of stressful type job. And I didn't really realize what kind of stress I was under until I kind of got away from it. Then I realized, gee, you know, I feel so much better now. Huh. Interesting. When did you start passively investing and how did you get started? Well, I started about five years ago, a little, not quite five years ago. A friend of mine, a longtime friend and former colleague of mine, had been involved in passive investing for a couple of years. And he, I talked to him about it and I was interested, but I just really didn't have the time to devote to it and to research to it and get involved. And he finally got to the point where he wanted to sponsor a deal. So he invited me and a number of other folks over to his house and, and gave the pitch on a, a deal that he was proposing. And this all sounded really pretty good to me. So I was very interested and I trusted him that he had done his due diligence on this project and, and knew what he was doing. But in the end, the financing fell apart for that deal. So he couldn't go forward with it. But from that, he put me in contact with a couple of other gentlemen that were sponsoring a deal that he knew. And he himself was interested in that deal. So we jumped into that. And from there, it just kind of took off. Once you get on somebody's investor list, it seems like you get on a lot of them. And the deal started coming to me. And I would talk it over, talk a lot of them over with a, a colleague of mine and with my friend. And we decide which ones we wanted to get into, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Now, obviously, at this point, your alternative is, is most likely what? You've got cash savings and the stock market, right? What was wrong with that route? Why did you even start thinking about investing with your friend? Well, unlike a lot of younger folks that watch your podcast and you've had as guests who are looking at retirement 10 or 15 years down the road or maybe even longer, uh, I was looking at retirement in the near term, and I had lived through the 2000 meltdown and the 2008, and it can take six, eight, ten years for a stock market investment to come back after a, a major route like that. And I just didn't really want to take the hit at this point of my, of my life and my career. So I really needed to diversify, and I was fairly well diversified in terms of the stock market itself, but I didn't want to be, have all this exposure to the market. So uh, real estate is something I'd had in the back of my mind for some time, but never wanted to be the guy that gets the 3 a.m. phone call about a, you know, a clogged toilet. So I never pursued it from that angle. So multifamily as a passive investor was just perfect for me at that point in my career five years ago. 
I don't really know if, if it, you know, if you're younger or older, like what difference does it make? No one wants to have their stock portfolio get stuck in half at any point in their life, really. <laughs> so, but what is it that you loved about, about multifamily? Well, as I alluded to, it's not binary in the fact that you've either got a renter or you don't, and your property is empty. You know, multifamily, depending on the size of it, is going to be in the worst case, hopefully no worse than in the 80% occupied. And ideally when you get to a mature property, you're up into the mid nineties. And so it's not like you're in a binary situation, as I said. And then the other thing is as a passive investor, I didn't have to be concerned with signing on the the dotted line for a, a big mortgage or hiring people or making sure repairs got done or anything like that. So it was kind of set it and forget it from my viewpoint. And as long as I trusted the the folks that were running the operation in terms of being the sponsors, that's really what it came down to. And so I liquidated a fair amount of my non-retirement stock market investments, which are mostly just mutual funds. And then later on, when my wife and I got a little more comfortable with the whole multifamily investing game, I should say, um, we both liquidated a portion of our Roth IRAs, which we had both reached the age which we could do that tax-free. And so I was thinking, well, if I'm looking at 7 or 8% in a good year in keeping it in that Roth IRA, if I invest that in multifamily in five years, I may be able to double my money or, or even better. So I looked at that as not only diversifying, but also potentially earning a greater return. So you obviously were a little bit discontented with the stock market. You really started liking the multifamily, but nevertheless, you know, liquidating stocks or calling up your financial advisor going, hey, I need to sell something, 50, 100, $150,000. Like, weren't you biting your nails a little bit? And how did you overcome that? Well, actually, I did. Um, the first investment that a colleague of mine and I invested in simultaneously, our bank was just down the street from our office. And he walked down there on the morning to wire his funds and came back and just said, well, I hope the money doesn't end up in the Cayman Islands somewhere. <laughs> and so, yeah, we until we developed trust in the process, and, and we knew the sponsors on this particular deal, and we trusted that they knew, you know, understood the process, and they had a good business plan in place. But, yeah, it's uh, when you jump into something different like that with a large amount of money, no question about it, it makes you think a little bit. Now, as far as the financial advisor goes, many years ago, I decided the only financial advisor that it's going to have my interest in mind is me. So I had been my own financial advisor for well over 30 years. So that wasn't really an issue. But yeah, it does take a leap of faith to jump into something that uh, is new and unknown like that. So when it turned out okay, I decided, well, this really is okay. So I can go forward with other deals. So how many, by the way, how many investments did you make and, and what allowed you to do that? I mean, like, you know, do you have, what, what allowed you to make these passive investments? Well, since late 2014 uh, until now, I've invested in 28 passive deals 
comprising 34 total properties. And five of those have sold. And then I've the sale of them, two of which were major home runs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which has been a fantastic market. I rolled those proceeds into other deals. So between the liquidation of my non-retirement market stock market investments and as I mentioned the Roth IRA in rolling over successful sales it has allowed me to just grow the portfolio I developed that non IRA stock market portfolio 30 I started 30 years ago just dollar cost averaging every month putting a small amount of money into a mutual fund and I think I started with $100 a month and then over time I as I got raises and earn, start earning more money, I would increase that. And I just kept doing it. It's just kind of textbook what they say on all the um, personal investing websites and magazines and whatnot. Just dollar cost average. Don't think about it and let it go. It was happened to be in an S&P 500 fund. So it actually, it was kind of a forced savings and then it enabled me to have the funds necessary to get started in multifamily. So you were saving, I don't know, some some percent of your income in this, uh, in essentially a savings account, and you were then buying mutual funds with it. And that was going okay, but then you had some money to invest in these passive investments. And that's that's exactly what you did then. And then you said something very interesting, because you said that uh, some properties sold, but I know that some of those properties also, for example, refinanced, right? Can you talk about the, like, for example, I know you were in Country View, for example, is one of the deals that, that we did in, in Memphis, for example. Talk about what that means to you as an investor, like what that does to your returns and the money that you're investing and the return you're getting on that money. Well, that's a good point. A lot of properties, after they've stabilized, will do a refinance and return investment to the investor, some percentage. Now, Country View, which you mentioned in Memphis, returned uh, 84% uh, earlier this year. So that's 84% of my original investment that I now have to uh, reinvest in another property somewhere. And I do have ownership in a small property in Denton, Texas, that was the first of mine to refinance. And it refinanced and returned 75% to investors. And so the cash on cash returns on that invested amount, the amount that remains, is now over 25 to 30% per year. So there isn't a stock market investment you can do anywhere that I know that you can consistently get 25 or 30%. And then when you take into account the tax benefits, it makes it even that much better. All right. So, okay, this is interesting. Let's, let's break this down here because of, so what kind of returns can people expect? And I think what you're talking about that 25 to 30% was after something refinanced and you got your capital back and you had very little capital back, but you were still uh, receiving distribution checks, which is kind of cool. So talk about what kind of, what kind of, and someone's wondering, Hey, I have a certain amount of money to invest. What kind of possible return could I get? Uh, what can passive investors reasonably expect? Well, a lot of sponsors that I've seen, I've seen a number of deals, any number of deals come across my desk, many of which I, I don't participate in, but they're often quoted in the most optimistic terms. And I will say realistic, but still optimistic. And, you know, if you've got a plumbing problem or an air conditioning problem that comes up in a property, 
you need to get that fixed and uh, that can affect quarterly distributions in the short term. So I'm kind of looking now as regardless of what a sponsor may promise, if I can realize an 8% cash on cash, that's a good number. And then um, upon a sale, maybe adding another 50% of my original investment on top of that, depending on the timing. So I really look for something that will, including the cash on cash return and the sale capital gain, that can return 100% ideally within maybe five years. I've seen some now that are quoting six year, uh, 90% return. I've seen a couple of times. So depending on the market, those big returns may not be available everywhere anymore, but I think a reasonable cash on cash is at least eight to 10%. And hopefully you'll add another 50% on top of that at a, at a sale. So you're essentially doubling your money in five or six years. Is that about, about right? Yeah. 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 That's what I would. Now, what about for. the taxes? Cause you mentioned about the taxes. Cause first of all, those, those returns are pretty extraordinary compared to the stock market for one, but then what about the tax treatment of those uh, of those gains? Well, as you well know, Michael, um, there is a lot of depreciation that's possible in, in real estate. And with uh, cost segregation that a lot of properties undergo, where they identify the items or the pieces, I guess you might say, of the property that can be a depreciated faster than this, just the overall buildings, virtually all of the cash flow that you'll get is tax-free. And I have not paid any taxes on any cash-on-cash returns yet because it's all offset with depreciation. And then upon a sale, of course, you're looking at capital gains rates. So depending on your bracket and where you have other uh, income, you may be only paying 15% on that gain. And depending on your carry forwards and other tax consequences, maybe even less than that. So from a tax standpoint, real estate has very favorable treatments. And you know, as I said, I have not paid any taxes on my uh, cash on cash returns. So, you know, that's nice. It is nice. It's, it's unbelievable, really. So you mentioned earlier that you have a lot of deals coming across your, your desk because obviously you're probably on a, a mailing list from a variety of operators. But what is it that you look for in a deal and what is it where you kind of say, hey, maybe there's a, there's a, some red flags here? Well, right now I get more deals coming across my desk, but mostly I'm looking to invest with sponsors that I know and I've worked with in the past. And there are a handful that I've I'm working with and have worked with that I, I look for their deals. I know that they know how to properly value properties and they know can put together a business plan for improving them, improving rents. And some, of course, maybe they're new to the uh, sponsorship game and, and that's fine. Everybody has to start somewhere, but I'm kind of to the point where I'm choosy about who I invest with. And I'm fortunate in the fact that I do have the opportunity to be choosy. If you're just starting out, you've got to do your research to uh, find out who it is that you want to invest with. And so what I'm hearing you say is, like, is a couple of things. Number one is you didn't really talk about the deal. You didn't talk about the market. You didn't really talk about it. You talked about the sponsor. 
in your mind, like the person that is sponsoring, is that like, is that the most important thing that you care about or do you look at it any, anything else? Well, I think that's the number one thing that I care about. But when you get into the nuts and bolts of the deal, it comes down to the, the sub-market first and the overall market second. And I think even in a market that is not considered to be one of the hot overall markets in the country, like Atlanta has been and Dallas-Fort Worth has been, uh, I don't think anyone's talking about Memphis being a, a real hot market, but <laughs> right. the sub-markets in Memphis can be very, very good, and right. as we well know. Yeah. We have several properties in Memphis that are performing very well, and it comes down to a matter of understanding that sub-market and purchasing at the right price. And I think the sub-market is probably the most important thing I would look at behind the sponsor. And then I would look at what are you paying for the property and what is the potential appreciation of that property given the sub-market realities of uh, rents and where you can push your rents and occupancy, obviously. Yeah, we're talking about the different sponsors. So, you know, how much time do you spend? So you, you're working with a small number of sponsors who you trust, I say almost implicitly uh, to some degree, but when you actually get to the deal, you're looking at the, the market and the submarket. Is there anything else with the deal that you're looking at? Or are you at the point now where you're saying, hey, you get a deal coming from this sponsor, I'm in. Like, you know, I'm already in, I'm sold. Or are you? Or do you go even deeper than the submarket? To some extent, you're right. If there are some sponsors that I've worked with that I know that they can evaluate a deal better than I can. And so they have already accepted the realities of the submarket. They've evaluated that. They've got their loan terms in place. I can just say, that's a great deal. I'm in. If it's someone who, you know, has kind of been a hit or miss, I might want to dig a little deeper. But, uh, the submarket is what really matters, I think. Uh, it really matters. And for example, I'm in one particular deal. It's in a submarket that it's not performing really well as far as the uh, rental market goes. And so even though this property has been improved to a great extent, and it's one that's far better than any that I've ever lived in myself, uh, they're having trouble pushing the occupancy. And so when you can't push occupancy, you can't push rents, you're offering rent specials, that kind of thing. So they're having a hard time getting that property performing to its potential, even though the property itself is very nice. The submarket is just not supporting it. And there's other factors in there, but so that you take this property in a better submarket, it'd be doing great. So yeah, the market overall and the submarket in particular, I think is as a major factor in how successful you can be. So you got early on, you were, you were fortunate enough that you had a good friend you trusted and that first deal fell through. And so they recommended someone else who they presumably trusted. You didn't maybe know them or trust them at the time. But what's your advice to someone who says, hey, this is really interesting. I want to get started with passively investing in, in these syndications. What is your advice to someone about how they get to know these sponsors and, and get to know and trust them so that the point that they can, they're comfortable making an investment? What does that process you think look like? Well, the internet is a great source, obviously, and there are meetups in many cities around the country from time to time. And I would say the best thing for someone who's brand new and knows no one involved in this at all is to go to one of those meetups and meet as many people as you can, especially sponsors. 
And then once you make that con initial connection, then what you want to do is talk to people who've invested with that sponsor and partner previously to just get a good grasp on what the communication style is like, what the philosophy is, and then the track record besides. I was very lucky in that the colleague that I'd mentioned had experience in multifamily and he put me in touch with, with people that he knew and trusted. And so I kind of had an advantage there. Starting from scratch, uh, you just have to get to know people and then follow up and learn their track records and then learn their philosophies towards these deals. Yeah, that's awesome. Give us some final thoughts for anyone who's uh, maybe on the fence about passive investing. What is the one thing that you want them to remember? Well, if nothing else, if you're still working and whether you love your job or not, even one deal diversifies your holdings, your investments, and it can produce some really nice mailbox money. And if you're lucky enough to grow that portfolio over time and get more and more mailbox money, maybe you can think twice about that career. And maybe if you want to change careers or cut back on your hours, or like I did, I was to the point of, of just giving it up entirely. It gives you options in life. And from that reason only, as a passive investor, that's reason enough to, to uh, look into it. It just gives you more options in life and more options is, is better. It really is. Jan, how do people connect with you? Well, the best way, if anyone has any questions or wants to get in touch with me, is just via email. My email address is jan, J-A-N dot A dot Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N at gmail.com. Hey, Jan, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your experience and to let people know that, yes, you can actually quit your job with passively investing in real estate. So thank you so much for being here on the show. Well, I appreciate it, Michael. Thanks a lot. All right, so you hope you were inspired with Jan's story. And it's not like he woke up to be a millionaire. He was saving $100 a month since like 1983 and putting in mutual funds until he realized, my gosh, I can actually accelerate this by investing in multifamily. So if you're still on the fence about maybe taking some money out of the stock market or calling a financial advisor, check out my free report I mentioned earlier. It's basically, you know, what's a better investment stock market and uh, or real estate. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. Just a, a download, just opt in. It's a PDF. It's pretty cool, actually. Um, you'll be pretty amazed at the actual returns of the stock market. And it explains some of the benefits of investing in multifamily. If you're actually already sold on investing in multifamily, you're looking for a strong operator, uh, we'd like to think that we're one of those operators, Nighthawk Equity. We have over 1,400 units under management, and uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. The way to do that is to head over to nighthawkequity.com and click on join. You can join our investing club, and you'll fill out a short questionnaire and schedule a call with us. Our investor relations director, Bronson Hill, will most likely take that call and get to know each other and make sure there's a right fit. You're, make sure that we uh, know about you and that you're comfortable investing with with us and then we can share with you uh, some upcoming opportunities that we have so we'll be really excited to connect with you so thanks again for your time for listening today catch you guys next episode thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com there you can also download the free ebook the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.